Well, last week we heard about Donny Campbell. This is a bit of a difficult question. Children, any of you remember what Donny Campbell did? Bit of a crazy man. Any of you remember what he did? He was a man who'd been in the news. Any remember? Any of the adults remember what he'd done? Yeah, he climbed up all of the 3,000 foot mountains in Scotland um, without any help, running between them. We heard about how he had to persuade himself to keep going, keep running, keep cycling as he went up to, uh, I think it was 282 mountains. Is that right, Alistair? 282 mountains. Alistair hasn't run them all yet. Most of us don't have that problem of trying to persuade ourselves to keep going, running up 282 mountains, do we? We haven't faced that problem. That's not what we have to persuade ourselves to keep going in. Many parts of the Bible uh, were written to Christians under severe persecution, persuading them to keep going despite extreme persecution. Most of us don't have that problem at the moment. Maybe the keeping going that confronts us most is just ordinary life. Keeping going in ordinary life. Maybe you hear sermons on Sunday about salvation through Jesus and about God's kingdom growing. And I hope it lifts you up and encourages you. But on Monday, well, you've got another day at a desk in an office or another day behind a wheel in a lorry. Or, or another lesson on English poetry. Oh, children, I really did. Oh, that was to me the worst. Maybe it's a different subject for you. Another lesson on English poetry or French verbs or something like that. Or another pile of washing to do. Another something, isn't it, on Monday? And maybe the keeping going that most concerns us is just keeping going in the ordinary, the mundane that seemed so far removed from the big picture and the Sunday sermon at church. Well, this morning's message is all about trying to persuade you to see the importance of the ordinary, the mundane, the daily life at work at home, and to keep going in that. And I want to do that using Titus chapter 2. So if you've got a Bible, would you turn to Titus chapter 2, please? Titus 2 and verses 9 to 14. 9 to 14. Now, if you've seen the notice sheet, you'll see that there are five things to help us keep going from these verses. But I want to try to be shorter than last time. I don't know if I'll manage it. So it's going to be a bit of an introduction to each of those because I am actually trying to be shorter. Whether I manage will remain to be seen. Here's the first one. The first one is slaves can make the gospel attractive. Slaves can make the gospel attractive. Verse nine is written to slaves. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything. Now, this is not a defense of slavery. You get elsewhere in the Bible principles that undermine slavery and that were used by the people who argued for the abolition of slavery. This is not a defense of slavery. But in the New Testament times, many of the Christians were slaves. And that wasn't going to change. It would be no good the New Testament writing to those slaves and telling them stop being slaves, overthrow your slavery, rebel against slavery. It wasn't going to happen. 
Many of them were stuck in it, trapped in it. They were the lowest, the most despised people. Every day for them was doing the same job they had no choice over under hard conditions without any hope of one day there'll be something different. And these people are told they can make the teaching about God, our savior, attractive. See in verse 10, verse 9, teach slaves to and then verse 10, so that in every way. They will make the teaching about God, our saviour, attractive. It's the most astounding phrase. Not just because it's written to slaves, but also because of this. Isn't the teaching about God, our saviour, attractive already? Isn't it attractive enough that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life? That I can say the son of God loved me and gave himself for me. The teaching, what is the teaching? The teaching that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And he implores you, be reconciled to me. Isn't that attractive enough already? I hope you know the answer. I hope it's obvious. But something attractive still needs to be displayed well. Here's an example. Are diamonds attractive? Well, I'm not into diamonds, to be honest. That might not surprise you. But I think most people would generally say that diamonds are attractive. So let's see two pictures of diamonds. Philip, can we have our two pictures of diamonds? Okay, both pictures have got diamonds. But I think most of us would say that one is more attractive than the other. By the way, the one on the... Is that left or right? Whichever way you're looking at it. Anyway, left, the way we're looking at it is a diamond cutter, because diamonds are really hard and they're used for cutting through various things. That is a diamond cutter. It is covered in diamonds around the edge, but they don't look that attractive. The one on the right obviously is much more attractive. Diamonds are inherently attractive, but how they are displayed makes a difference. And the diamond of the gospel, the beautiful, precious teaching about God our Saviour, Well, it makes a difference how it's displayed. Our lives can obscure it, can hide it, can make it very difficult to see the gospel when our lives are contradicting it. But that beautiful diamond we find here can be displayed well in the life of a slave. Can be displayed well in the ordinary, just got to get on with it, daily work you do this week. Don't think, I will display God when I have that role that will be much better than the one I've got now. I would serve God well if this problem was taken away. A slave in the Roman Empire could display and make beautiful the teaching about God our Saviour. We can go further than that. In which background did the diamond show up best? against the black background, against a dark background. When everything is going well at work or at home, joy, peace, patience, kindness don't show up so much because they're fairly easy. And probably other people around you are being fairly joyful and peaceful and patient when it's easy to do so. 
But when the boss is unreasonable or the work is unpleasant or the children are awkward or children, your friends at school are awkward or the bullies at school are even more awkward. That's when godliness, that's when the fruit of the spirit show up best. So you can make the teaching about God, our savior, attractive. So secondly, how can we make the teaching about God, our saviour, attractive? How can we do it? What are the slaves told to do? Well, let's read verse nine and ten. Verse nine, teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything. To try to please them, not to talk back to them and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted. That's all pretty ordinary stuff, isn't it? Obeying your boss or your teacher, trying to be a pleasant work colleague that other people are glad to be around, being polite to others, not stealing. That's basic. Being trustworthy and doing what you said you'd do and doing it as well as you can. Those are all really ordinary things. But they're difficult. If you're a mistreated slave, they're difficult. And they're difficult when the workplace or the home or the daily life have their stresses and their strains and their pressures or are just feeling really boring. It's the same thing day after day. Or the computer or the car or the washing machine has just broken down yet again. Or someone at school is making your life difficult yet again. But remember... The diamond shows up best against the dark background. What I'm trying to commend to you is those ordinary daily little acts of obedience that we might think are too little to even matter. But it's in them that slaves made the teaching about God, our savior, attractive. Ordinary little things. Here's someone whose life wasn't ordinary. Uh, children, here's some, an interesting character worth knowing about. He was called Abraham Kuyper. Funny name. He was a Dutchman. And from 1901 to 1905, he was prime minister of the Netherlands. And before that, he'd been a pastor of a church and he'd been a theologian who wrote loads of books. And he started a newspaper. In fact, I think two newspapers. And he founded a university. So he's an amazing man. Not ordinary. But how did he become a Christian? He became a Christian by attending a church where there were elderly people. And he watched these elderly people and he noticed their trust in God, despite the difficulties of old age. And he noticed them looking forward to heaven. They seemed to really believe they were going there instead of looking back to the good old days and just grumbling. He noticed faith and obedience in the little things of life, in these people who didn't have his gifts and privileges. And it made the teaching about God, our saviour, attractive. Here's the third thing. Why would we make the teaching about God, our saviour, attractive? Why do it? And the answer is, if we have received that gospel ourselves, If we've received that gospel ourselves, it makes a difference. And here in Titus 2, I think we're shown two ways. 
And the first is these slaves have seen that the gospel is like a diamond. It's beautiful. It's precious. It's not something to hide away in a drawer as if you were embarrassed about it. Verse 11 shows us that. Let's read verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And this this should be several sermons in itself, because this shows us the gospel is a beautiful, precious diamond because it's the message of grace. That is God freely forgiving, God generously welcoming, God giving to us without us first deserving it. Grace. And it's a beautiful, precious diamond because verse 11 says it is the message of salvation. God rescuing us from the guilt that condemns us. God freeing us from the sin that entangles us and twists our hearts inwards. And verse 11 says "Ah, the most beautiful thing, the most precious thing about this diamond is it's the message of Jesus. You might not recognize verse 11 saying that, but it is because verse 11 says the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared. What appeared? What does the New Testament tend to talk about appearing? Not a message, not even a set of truths, but a person. The son of God become man, Jesus And so these slaves are seen. This is beautiful. This is precious. We won't hide it away. We'll try to work at our lives displaying this gospel. But here's a second reason why they will, because they've received this gospel and it's changed them. It's taught them a better way of living. That's verse 12. Verse 12. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. Now, again, there's loads here. I'll just try to illustrate it this way. Someone I know is an RAF engineer and he works in an office of the RAF. And a notice came round the office saying there is going to be an LGV workshop for them. And he said his fellow engineers in the office thought, oh, that's great. Laser guided bombs. A workshop on laser guided bombs. And so off they gaily went to their LGB workshop, except it wasn't laser guided bombs. Have you guessed what it is? I've just given you a clue. Off they gaily went. Yes, it was a different type of LGB. But then again, you might not have realised that because LGB is out of date. You don't say LGB, do you? LGB became LGBT. But now that's out of date. No, you don't say LGBT. It's LGBTQ. Oh, no, you're out of date. Do you know if you say LGBTQ, you're out of date because it's LGBTQ, A, I and a whole load of other letters you can't keep up with. Now, what's it all about? Why is that so prominent in our society? Well, because it's part of a bigger emphasis. It isn't just about sexuality. It's part of a bigger thing in our society. And the bigger thing is this. You must be free to follow your passions. You must be free to do whatever your body feels like without any constraints that you didn't choose. That's the big message. 
So don't just think this is having a go at the sexuality people, because this is something that's probably got into us as well. It's part of a bigger message. You must be free to do what you choose, what your body feels like. No constraints. This is the way to freedom, we're told. But the gospel has shown us that's the way to slavery. Slavery to my sinful appetites. They will rule me. They will drive me. And they will demand more and more and more and never be satisfied until they've destroyed me. The way to freedom, the gospel has told us, is to exercise spirit-given self-control. To say no to those passions, whether they are sexual or the pa- a passionate temper or whatever it might be. To strive for a life that reflects God's character, the fruit of the spirit. That's the way of freedom. And that's what verse 12 is telling us the gospel has taught us. Well, there's more. I'm sure you recognize verse 12 says more than that, but I'll leave you to look at that. You know, some people ask me, what difference does the Christian message make in just the ordinary life in the workplace? Well, my answer would be, wouldn't living verse 12 make you different? I think when people ask me, what difference does it make? They're often asking, how does it help me to fulfill my agenda? But the answer is, no, it will change you. And if it changes you to make you fit verse 12, wouldn't that make you different? Whether sitting in an office or standing in a factory or driving a lorry or looking after the home and children, wouldn't doing verse 12 make you different from others around you? And that will make the teaching about God, our saviour, attractive. I think I can afford a fourth one. Fourth one. What keeps us going? What keeps us going? Now, I hope I've shown you that this Christian living is attractive. But however attractive it is, there's no getting around. It would have been hard if you were a slave. And it is still hard sometimes today when it feels like life is the daily grind. So what keeps us going? Verse 13. Verse 13. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and saviour, Jesus Christ. What keeps us going? Looking forward. You always need something to look forward to, don't you? And it's not wrong to look forward to the weekend. And it's not wrong to look forward to that holiday. But we need something bigger and better to look forward to. And something that won't disappoint to look forward to. And these slaves didn't get holidays, I would imagine. We need to look forward to Jesus appearing. In other words, him coming back. And we need that as what keeps us going. Now, this hits a problem because there's a phrase around. Have you heard this phrase? Oh, he's too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. Uh, That is too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. He's got all his mind on Jesus coming back in heaven. He's just no good here. Well, I've never met anyone like that. Have you? If you have, I'd be interested to hear from you because I'd be interested to meet such a heavenly minded people. Sadly, I don't. Meet enough heavenly minded people. But when people are heavenly minded, I don't think it makes them no earthly good. 
Here's a person worth knowing about. Children, I think it's worth knowing about people from church history. Here's one. He was called Lord Shaftesbury. He was from a really posh and really rich family. Posher and richer probably than anyone you'd met. He was a member of the House of Lords in the age of Queen Victoria. And he used his position and his power and his money to stand up for the poor. He used it to stop boys being sent up chimneys as chimney sweeps. Or children sent down coal mines to work where they often were killed and they always had their health wrecked. He worked hard for the poor. And he said his motivation was every day he thought about heaven. He said there wasn't a day went by without him thinking about heaven. He said what he did was driven by his beliefs about Jesus returning. And he had some particularly strong beliefs about Jesus returning. And he said they were his motive. Looking forward to Jesus returning meant he could afford to lose friends here because he did. Because the posh, rich people in the circles he came from didn't like what he was doing. And he could afford to wear himself out here, which he did. It was hard work. And he could afford to give away his money here, which he did, because he was looking forward to Jesus returning. And so there is rest and reward and enjoyment ahead for posh Lord Shaftesbury and poor despised slaves in the Roman Empire and you. And you, if the grace of God that brings salvation has brought salvation to you, has it? Lastly, fifthly, lastly, where do we get the power from? Where do we get the power from? It's all very well for a slave back then to hear this in church on a Sunday. But when on Monday he's trying to carry some heavy load, having been poorly fed and with his master having a go at him. How does he resist just answering back? Where do you get the strength from to live like this? Tomorrow and the day after and the day after, including when life gets to you. Where does the strength come from? The answer is verse 14, or at least the answer is in verse 14. Verse 14, who gave, sorry, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Verse 14 is saying Jesus gave himself to change us. Jesus gave himself to buy us out of slavery to sin. He gave himself so we could have the Holy Spirit work in us so we are actually eager to do good. Not just grudgingly because we're told at church, we're eager to do good. Jesus dying on the cross isn't just about forgiveness. It is that and more and more. And verse 14 tells us wonderful things more. Children, there was once a a young girl who was very ill. In fact, she was dying. And an elderly lady knew this young girl and wanted to find a way to tell her the good news about Jesus. 
And so this elderly lady called Cecil Francis Alexander wrote a song for this young girl. And I think that most of you know that song because it's the song. There is a green hill far away outside a city wall. And it has this great verse in it that says he died that we might be forgiven. He died to make us good that we might go at last to heaven saved by his precious blood. You see, he died to make us good, to actually give us the power to live this life we've heard about. A life that makes the teaching about God, our savior, attractive. So children and adults, if any of you haven't trusted in the Lord Jesus, haven't turned from your way to his, this change of life, this forgiveness, this being able to look forward to Jesus coming back is offered to you now. It's offered to you now. Will you turn from your way and trust him and ask him for it? And you can have it. And those of us who have, let's make sure there isn't a disconnect between Sunday and Monday. Let's make sure there isn't a great big gap between what we hear in church and the Monday, whether it's a grind or a joy onwards. Even if daily life makes you feel like a bit of a slave, and for all of us it does at times, you can make the teaching about God our Saviour attractive.